Well, good morning, beloved. Uh, as you make your way in your copy of Scripture to Ephesians chapter 3, starting with the first verse, um, just listen for a moment, and if you can multitask, which is not actually possible, go ahead and turn there. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you? The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Did you catch that? Did you hear what just happened? But he starts, for this reason, I, Paul, and then that final verse that I just read in 14, he goes from verse 1 to verse 14, and he starts again, for this reason. And do you realize what he just did there? Paul got sidetracked. This is a very long digression as he starts something, but then he moves off and goes somewhere else. This is a digression. It's, it's to move away from the primary point and start to go down another road. And Paul does this, which makes me feel really good because I can do that a lot. <laughs> but there's a digression here and digressions can often be brought on by distractions. I would say a lot of our digressions are because we got distracted by something. Uh, an article that I read this week said that the average worker is distracted for two and a half to three hours out of every workday. You think about your workday, two and a half to three hours of that time, if it's an eight hour to 10 hour day, is you being distracted. And that's pretty amazing. Uh, the most common distractions that they found were coworkers. Your coworkers can be distracting. Um, pointless meetings that were not actually on point. Um, hunger can be very distracting. Failed multitasking, like trying to accomplish too many things at the same time. Stress, anxiety, a cluttered workspace, smartphones, nobody thinks that, right? Emails, um, the number of times that we check our inbox is insane. Go ahead and look that number up. Uh, social media, and then just simply being interrupted by someone else. But we're distracted two and a half to three hours out of every workday. Um, and they say that full recovery from being distracted to back to fully focused, on average, on average, it takes 23 minutes and 15 seconds to get back to fully focused. And so you can quickly see how so much, like approaching half of your workday, as you not actually focused, as you distracted. And that's pretty insane. Um, but digressions are not just the result of being distracted. Um, sometimes we actually make an intentional shift, don't we? When we don't like something, then it's easy for us to intentionally decide, I'm going to move away from that and focus on something else, to digress intentionally, not just incidentally or accidentally, but to intentionally digress, to move away from what the point was, these intentional shifts. I mean, here's the tension. This is, this is what um, just really is telling to me is that what we do and where we go in boredom or crisis often shows us so much about who we actually are. 
or what we value. What we do in boredom or crisis, where we turn to when we are bored, when you have that extra minute, or when you don't like what you're currently doing and you intentionally decide, I'm going to take a break from that, where does your mind go? The things that we turn to in boredom and in crisis when it's painful, when I want an out, when I want an escape, what do you turn to? Those things tell us a lot about who we actually are, what we're really treasuring, where we find our value, our identity. It's very telling. And often, it looks like a digression. And so if we go back into the text, I hope you're there now with me. Ephesians chapter 3, starting with the first verse, let's see this digression that Paul makes here. He starts in verse 1 and he says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. Wow. He begins the start of a prayer. For this reason, he's starting a prayer, but then you jump down to where I finished reading earlier, for this reason in 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. So he starts a prayer, but he doesn't make it through the first statement before he, hold on, before I go there. And he starts this digression, and that prayer doesn't pick back up until 14. So he's saying, for this reason, and we have to ask, well, for what reason? And remember, context tells us. You cannot just pull one thing out of Scripture and expect to understand it. You have to see what is around it. What are the verses immediately before, immediately after, and then the grander thing in the paragraph, the book, and then the literature, what all these things about context are going to help tell us. This is really crippling, by the way. I feel like a T-Rex. I'm good now. I'm good now. Thank you. That's so nice. Thank you. Thank you. I know. I got to look at you, man. I feel free. This is wonderful. For freedom, Christ set us free. Uh, all right, so for this reason, we have to ask, what is the reason? Why is Paul saying for this reason? And so again, in context, we go back to what we just read. He's talking about what we just heard him write. And that was last week what we covered, that, hey, the beauty of the gospel is, you know, you were Jews and you were Gentiles, different races, and you had these covenants of promise, and you didn't have these covenants of promise, but you did. They were supposed to come through this group and be extended to all. And yet there's animosity because of the law and adherence to it. They're like, well, we're better than you. We, if, to be with you is to be unclean. And so there's all this animosity, the hostility, that wall of division, remember? And he's like, the gospel tore it down. Jesus has made it to no effect because he has fulfilled the law for us and you've become one new man. That the gospel, the good news, is it's no longer them and us. It's everyone by grace through faith is now one new man. You're brought in together as the family of God. Everyone can belong here. It says, because of that. And so for this reason, unpacking that gospel and what it has done, for this reason, he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he goes into this digression. So because of the gospel and what it has done, now I, Paul, who am I? I'm a prisoner of Christ. And if we look at this, again, in context, you know, he actually wrote this letter in Roman imprisonment. Paul is a prisoner of the Roman Empire. And yet he doesn't call himself, I, Paul, a prisoner of Caesar. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus. That, that I'm in bondage to Christ. And what is he saying by that? What does he mean by that? He's suffering for proclaiming the thing that he's saying for this reason. He's suffering because he proclaims this gospel that says, you have a place here, you belong here. Because of what Christ has done, he's brought us in. He says, I am actually in prison because of that. And so I gladly say, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. 
I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, that this is personal to him. I'm in prison because of Christ, but because of what I have done for him, that is for your sake, that I'm proclaiming this gospel to you, that you can know that you belong here. It's deeply personal. This is Paul's particular calling. He was called by Jesus specifically to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to be this missionary going out to the known world, taking this gospel. So we keep going. Verse three, it says, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you were able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul clarifies again here that he directly received the revelation, meaning the gospel, thus making him an apostle. An apostle is someone, um, there's, there's different types of apostles. Apostle can just mean sent, but there's this kind of like, you could almost say like uppercase A, like a proper noun position here, that Jesus had these apostles given unique authority in the early church, his closest friends and so forth, that he revealed himself to them directly. And Paul got that unique compared to the others, distinct from the others, and that he saw Jesus and was blinded by Jesus on the road to Damascus when he was actually going to kill Christians. He had letters giving him permission to throw them in prison and kill them. He hated Christians. He wanted to put an end to it. And as he's going to another city to try to do that very thing, Jesus shows up, blinds him, and Paul is converted as he realizes Jesus is truly the Lord. And so Paul knows this. He knows this gospel. It was given directly from Jesus himself and thus making him an apostle in a unique sense. And so as an apostle, Paul has been called to go and take this revelation. It's been revealed to him. His gospel is to be trusted. He didn't receive it secondhand, thirdhand, anything else. He received it directly from Jesus. It's not been manufactured. It has not been distorted. He knows the true gospel. And he's saying, you remember how I got this directly from Jesus. My life is a testament to that. I hated you people. I wanted to kill you. But now I'm gladly a prisoner for your sake. Something happened to him. And they would not question that. They've heard of him. Even those in this context, in Ephesus, who may not have known Paul from a few years prior when he was actually there, if they're new believers and they didn't get to meet him, they still heard the stories. They've seen this guy who has scars because he was stoned and left for dead at one point. He's, they know the stories of this guy, what he did in the city. They've heard about it. This is the guy who could like touch a handkerchief and then they'd pass it around and people were healed. Like God clearly anointed him with great power. And so this guy is writing this and he's saying, you can trust it. You know, I have the revelation of this mystery. And what is the mystery? What is this mystery that he's received directly from Jesus that's been made known? It's that Gentiles need not become Jews and Jews need not become Gentiles. What? It's the gospel. It's that by grace through faith, we become a new man. That Paul realizes it's not about keeping the law, guys. And it's not about you trying to get into this select group that's known as the Jews and trying to keep the law and all this stuff. It's entirely by grace through faith that Jesus has come and he lived a sinless life. He kept the law perfectly when we could not. And then he died the death that you and I deserve. And so every one of us Jew, Gentile, black, white, whatever, we all come the same way. And it's just through Jesus. 
What a mystery. And yet we know what the mystery is. It's been revealed to me and I'm revealing it to you. That there's a new man that Jesus has made us new. It's the gospel. And then he says in verse seven, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Again, Paul said this. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Whose power? It's God's. And Peter writes something similar in one of his epistles when he says, let the one who serves serve in the strength of the Lord. None of the good that you do, remember, going back to chapter two, none of the good that you do is actually from you. It was ordained by God who saved you by grace and he prepared these good works that you would walk in for his glory. And so the way that we walk in these good works is not by our own strength. It's by his grace. And Paul, this apostle that we would look up to so much and the recipients of this letter would look up to so much and he's saying, hey, not by my strength. Nothing that I've done. It's just by grace. So you're telling me that I only come to life by grace. That I am saved from sin and the wrath of God that is justly due on me because of my rebellion. I am saved entirely by grace. It is his work that I don't deserve this, but he gives me favor. He loves me despite me. This is crazy. And then you're saying, after he's brought me to life in that kind of grace, that what will sustain me through life and empower me for everything he's called me to is still grace. Yes. And so I have to ask you, Christian, you know you were saved by grace, but are you now trying to white knuckle it? Are you living day to day trying to hold yourself together to overcome this sin or to do this good thing that God's called you to? Whatever it is, are you trying to do anything and everything just on your own power and strength? Or do you see that it's the grace of God that equips us and empowers us for everything he's called us to? We live in grace. His grace empowers us. Are you still just as reliant and joyful in God's grace as you were the day that you were saved? We must be. We must be. And Paul understood that. And then verse eight, he continues on. says, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This grace, this grace that empowers him, the the working of God's power in him as he's a servant of the gospel, this grace that's given to him is to proclaim, it's to proclaim the incalculable riches of Christ. Do you see how humbled Paul is by this grace? He lives in a constant state of humility in light of the grace that he has received and the grace that empowers him to do anything. He's humbled by it and he gets to proclaim this. He's amazed by it. It's incalculable riches in Christ. And so he's humbled and he's amazed and that drives him to proclaim it. Say, do you know the incalculable riches of Christ? Do you know my king? Have you met Jesus? Do you know what he has done for me and what he has done for you? We can look back at history and see he loved you so much that he came here and he lived. The creator of the cosmos stepped into this mess that we made and he said, I'm gonna make it right and it's gonna cost me my life, but take heart, I will be back. He predicts his own death. He predicts his own resurrection and he pulls it off and he says, because I love you, 
I want to make it right between us again. You're going to live with me forever. You're going to enjoy me forever. And I love you. I enjoy you like that. So I'll make you enjoyable and I'll bring you back to me and it's going to cost me my life. And Paul is just like, that's amazing. I'm so humbled by it and I'm so amazed by it that I want the whole world to know about it. Does it have that effect on you? You're like, this is just so mind-boggling that I cannot just hold it in. I've got to talk about it. I need you to know this. Like if, if you realize the reality is that people are walking all around us, there are 3,000 people probably down the street from us right now. How many of them don't know that Jesus loves them? He died for them, a horrific death. And he says, you, beloved, you get the privilege of going and telling them the best news ever. Will we do it? Will you do it? I would love to hear you say yes, but not for my sake. Will you just be so moved by this grace, this grace? He says, this grace. Will you be so moved by this grace that you just can't help it but live humble before God and excited and amazed in such a way that everyone's just got to know this. Do you know my king? Man, disclose the mystery. The incalculable riches. Disclosing this mystery. I love, like, if it's not mind-boggling enough that he would do such a thing, And it says, this is actually your job, church. That you be the ones to disclose this mystery. And who is he saying to? It's not just just humans. He's saying, the angels. Good and bad. The good angels. The ones who are obedient to God. And the rebellious ones, the demons. Both of them. Do you realize that? The angels, good and bad. the, The demons even. They don't know the plan of God. And then God executes this plan, this gospel, that he would save us. And then say, now that I've saved you, here's the deal. You're going to actually disclose this to the world, but even the angels. They're all, like in Peter's language, they're craning their necks, longing to look into like, what is God doing? What is the deal with this planet? We've watched this go so sideways. What is he doing on that throne? And as they watch, we get to be the ones to say, this is what's happening. He's making all things new. That they get to learn about that from us. That's amazing. That's so incredible. The church being the agent through which they learn of it. This is wild. And then verse 11, he says, this is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you realize that? Like if God is as big as we say he is, that he is omniscient. He knows everything. You cannot hide anything from him. He is omnipotent. He has all power. Nothing can stay his hand. He's omnipresent. There is nowhere you can go to escape him. If this is true, and you think the gospel, that God would become a man to save man and bring man back to God, to live with him and enjoy him forever. And then to think that was his plan, all along. What a God. What an amazing God. That he's not just like playing catch up, like, whoa, that caught me off guard. Wasn't expecting that. But before any of this was set in motion, it's like, I have this, I have this idea. Can you imagine the Father, Son, and Spirit? And, and this can get weird because they're, they're three and yet one. But from eternity past, the Father decreeing, this is what will happen. 
Son, you will go. You will go and you will bring them back. And Spirit, you will empower all of this. It's going to be through Christ and by the power of the Spirit and the, the entire triune God. Father, Son, and Spirit working. And this being the plan from all of eternity that he would show us how glorious he is. He would show us how loved we are in such a way as this that he would send his son and he would die for us, offering us forgiveness and everlasting life, fullness of joy forever. Like this was always his plan. The plan that the angels longed to look into. They're like, what is this? And Paul says, hey, you get to tell them. So live in such a way that tells them. In verse 12, he says, in him, so in who? In Christ Jesus. Remember context, so just prior to that, in Christ Jesus. So in him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. We have the ability to speak freely to God. Again, if he is as big as we say he is, that he has all power, nothing is hidden, and yet he says, hey, you, you get to speak freely to him. That does not mean that we should not have reverence, respect, and, and honor him and all this though. But you can speak freely to him. In front of such power? How? Because we are in Christ. Then when God sees Kevin, he doesn't see me and all of my brokenness and sin and think, oh, what a pathetic little human being I created. No, he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ, the son who has given me his righteousness. And so all of my sin, all of my shame, it's all been taken. It was nailed to a cross. And so now I have the righteousness of God himself given to me. I did nothing to deserve that, nothing to earn it. He gave it freely in grace at his own expense. And it doesn't just end there that, okay, he no longer sees my sin and my shame, but actually he sees the perfection of Jesus. So even in my attempts and strivings at doing good things, and you know how often I just tear myself up because of how I'm trying to do a good thing and it just wasn't enough. Are any of you like that? You're just your own worst critic? Beat yourself up all the time? And do you realize that not only does he not see and hold our sin against us, but even in our attempts at what is good and honoring to God, he sees the perfection of Christ in that. How freeing. And glorious that now I can live and I can walk in these good works that he prepared in grace. Oh, that's why Paul said that. So I do this in grace. Every bit of it. It's all in grace. Boldness and confident access. You think about those terms. In him we have boldness and confident access. Are those words you would use to describe your prayer life? I'm so convicted by that. When I think of the way that I pray, the way that I talk to God about you, do I talk to him with boldness and confident access? Oh, we should. Why? Again, because of grace, that we are in him, in Christ. We have been sealed. We are in him. We come to him with boldness and confident access that he wants us there. You know when you're confident in a place? When you know that you belong there. If you don't think you belong in a place, you're not going to feel like, oh, I have just confident access here. I can be here. This week, uh, we, we went to Savannah uh, with the Mangles and um, 
there, there's a lot of history there. The, the first African Baptist church is there and the second African Baptist church, the first one wanted to charge us a ton of money and we had to have a time slot and everything. We're like, oh, that's not happening. But we went to the second one. Like, we'll settle for number two, you know? So we go over to this one and um, you know, Reggie is with me and Reggie can make a friend out of anyone. And so there's this, this guy standing out on the front steps of this thing and, and there's another guy pressure washing and older guy, he looks like he's getting quite old and he's just watching the guy pressure washing and we walk up and Reggie just becomes his friend instantly. And so talking about music and all kinds of stuff and I'm asking him some questions like how long has he been there? He's a part of the church. He's deacon. He's a deacon there. And next thing you know, he sounds like they used to do tours and everything, but they don't anymore, you know, COVID and all this stuff. And Reggie keeps sweet talking him and all of a sudden the guy's like, come on in, you know. (laughs) So we get a tour. We get to an exclusive tour. Yes, exclusive tour. And so we're going inside and, and he's telling us about like, we're standing there where when he was, Reggie did the math, the guy was probably seven years old, where he got to sit in this pew and watch Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. practice his I have a dream speech before their congregation. And we're standing there. And all I can think is like, if the pastor shows up, we're not supposed to be in here. <laughs> like, it, he's let us in. But I know, like, we're not really supposed to be in here. Can you imagine the throne room of heaven? Like, the very presence of God. Paul saying, in Christ, you come in there with boldness, confident access that this is exactly where you belong. In the presence of Yahweh, almighty God, Lord of lords, King of kings. You belong right here. So be here with boldness, and confident access. No one's going to walk in and say, wait, 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 what is he doing in here? Because if they did, if the accuser, if Satan himself showed up and said such a thing, our king is ready. And he's coming back with a sword coming out of his mouth. He'll talk and it's like thousands of waterfalls roaring around us and fire in his eyes and a tattoo along his thigh that says king of kings and lord of lords. And just when he speaks, blood will fill the valley. That king says, no, he belongs right here with me. And so we stand there with boldness and confident access. This is where we belong. And Paul says in 13, so then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. You know, in light of all that, hey, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Yeah, prisoner, of Caesar? No, prisoner of Jesus. I know I'm in chains. Don't lose heart on my behalf because I'm actually here on your behalf. This is your glory. That I'm in chains is actually your glory. I am here because I proclaim the gospel to you. Your salvation is tied to me being here. So delight in it. Relish in it. Glory in it. This is good. Don't lose heart. You remember the tension of how what we go to in boredom or crisis reveals a lot about who we are. As Paul makes this large digression before he picks up the prayer that we'll start next week. But Paul gets sidetracked. He digresses into a lot of things here. And it's revealing. But that tension that we have of how we go back to certain things in boredom or in crisis is because we are bound to things like Paul is bound. Paul is literally bound as in he's a prisoner. But he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. But we too are bound to something. We are all bound to exalt something. You're going to make much of something. 
It's who we are. We were created to worship. You are going to worship something. You're going to exalt or lift up something. We're all making much of something. Some of us are making much of our favorites. It might be our favorite team, our favorite politician, our political party, favorite dessert, flavor, our favorite person, our favorite brand, favorite whatever. And we just love to make much of it. And it's not always bad. But we're doing this. Maybe it's ourselves, our own accomplishments. Maybe for some of us, what we exalt, what we make much of is just our hardships, how hard life is. You've elevated something in the place of God. And here's the thing, only God can be God. Only God can be God. And so as we exalt all these different things, and we try to put them in the place of God, do you know what will happen? Invariably, it will let us down, it will fail us, and probably hurt a lot. And we can put so many things in God's place. My success, my prestige, my reputation, my spouse, my kids, my job, my status, my church. What do you put in the place of God and put an expectation on that that only God could stand under? Only God can be God. God alone is infinite. And so as the psalmist said, will you magnify the Lord with me? Will you exalt his name forever? He alone is worthy of all praise. That God alone can be God. And we have to stop putting other things in the place of God and then being so crushed when, hey, didn't live up to be God. That's because it was not God. And so God alone should be exalted in that. And so bottom line, aim your exalting. Like Paul in his digression, he's, I get a little distracted, but you know what I'm gonna do? Even as I'm distracted, what I run to in boredom and crisis, still God, just gonna exalt God. Paul physically bound in a Roman imprisonment, he says he is bound to Christ. In his digression, we see where his mind goes. We see that he exalts Christ. You see the progression throughout this book of how he refers to himself, that he starts chapter one in his introduction. He says, I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. Like, man, that's why we should listen to him. Paul's an apostle of Christ Jesus. Like Jesus showed up to him, gave him a special commission sent to the Gentiles. Jesus showed up. He's an apostle in a special sense. And it's by God's will. He knows that. We know that. Man, elevate him. We got to listen to this guy. And he starts to unpack the gospel. And then all of a sudden we get to this point where he's unpacked the gospel and he's like, I'm a prisoner of Christ. That's who I am. Like, okay, I see what you're doing there. But like, humble yourself. That's good. You know what he says about himself the next time he references himself? the least of all the saints. This grace given to me, the least of all the saints. The least of all the saints. Paul? What? What happens when you magnify God as you see how holy he is, how other he is? And so we are humbled. And as we humble ourselves, we rightly see him exalted. This is why John the baptizer, he said, I must decrease so that he may increase. That I have to have a lower view of myself. I have to be humbled before God to rightly see him exalted overall. And so if I want to do that, I just need to continually exalt him. And so in every digression, just see, magnify the Lord. Exalt the Lord. Just see him elevated more and more, exalted over all. And then I'm put back into my right place, which is the best place to be under the shadow of Almighty God. 
to be under him. Aim your exalting. Arguably the essence of sin is exalting in a creature rather than the creator. And so what will we exalt in? And the gospel says the creator who should be exalted over all, condescended. He came down, humbled himself, and entered into humanity. Took on human flesh and the incarnation. Humbled, obedient to the point of death. But in that humility of lowering himself, he has now been exalted over all. That Jesus, resurrected, is given a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, every tongue would confess he is Lord. That he would be exalted. So let's be a church that would exalt, that would aim your exalting. See him in every bit of it. Because digressions are normal, you should actually expect them. There's so many things competing for our attention. And so don't beat yourself up when it's hard to pray. Don't beat yourself up when it's hard to stay focused on my 10-minute devotional. There's a lot competing for your attention. I know that. The Lord surely knows that. But the more that we just fall in love with him, the more that we exalt him, the more we aim our exalting at him, the volume on all those other things gets turned down. And we learn to just relish his presence, to just enjoy him, to know that what he says of me is true, that he loves me, He loves you, that he wants you to be with him, that he has made a way. This is how we stay focused on what we should in life and make sure that even our digressions like Paul, when you get a little distracted, that even those are honoring to the Lord. It's aim you're exalting. It's gospel fluency. It's seeing that the gospel actually speaks to every redemptive longing, every tension, every crisis, every hurt in this life is related to the gospel. Every beauty, every pleasure, everything is related to the gospel. And the more we can see that, the more that we can kind of retrain the neuroplasticity of our minds to see everything, every thought taken captive to obey Christ, everything comes back to him, the more it becomes natural. And our minds naturally run that rush and drift back to him and his glory to see the grandeur of our God. And so naturally, as we move forward and aim our exalting, it becomes, hey, this is normal that I thought I was looking at an illicit photo. And oh, don't look at that. Go away, go away. We're sitting in, of all places, a tattoo parlor. I did not get one, by the way. I'm just way too scared. But I'm sitting in one. It's the first time I've ever been in one in another city. And, and as I'm watching someone get a tattoo, right over their shoulder is a skateboard with a completely naked woman. And so every time I'm trying to like talk over here, it's like, there's a naked lady. Like, oh. This, this is really rough. Like, you know, what, what does Paul say about temptation? That with every temptation, he's provided a way of escape. And if temptation is sin, ultimately, the temptation is sin, we turn away from the temptation, we're turning away from sin. Do you know what that's the definition of? Repentance. To turn away from sin. And if you turn away from sin, what have you turned toward? God. And so suddenly... Even the temptations in life are now an opportunity for me to aim my exalting and see something so much more beautiful, so much more compelling, and that is my king. And now, everything, even the bad, is an opportunity for exalting in him, 
to exalt him, to lift him up, to see him as glorious, to make him known as glorious. Everything can come back to the gospel. We must be fluent in that. That is how we will aim our exalting, be fluent in the gospel, tie it all back to the gospel and worship in it. So skeptic, I have no idea if you believe any of this. This sounds crazy. Seeker, you want to know what's true. Stumbling saint, I, I did it again. I wish I could do what he just said. <laughs> I would just be glued into that skateboard. Doubting saint, like, I don't know. Does he love me like this guy says he does? Says, Will you believe this good news? He does. It starts with grace, it ends with grace. So stand in grace, as Paul said in Romans 5. So when you stand in grace, you know what you fall in? Grace. A follower of Jesus, who do you need to share this good news with? And if you can be fluent in the gospel and see how every time there's any tension, it is the gospel that will answer that ultimately. You will learn to naturally speak of him all the time. All the time. Like, I want to share my faith and I'm just so scared and I, my heart starts pitter-pattering and I, I don't know what to say and all this stuff. You just listen. And everyone around us is always talking about things that are so directly connected to the gospel. You just find a way to fluently speak into that. Did you know in that friendship that's broken that there is a God who has called us friends? Can you imagine that? And then you just launch into it. Who is the God who would call us friends? Everything can be tied to the gospel. So who do you need to share this good news with? Speak fluently in the gospel. Aim your exalting. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this church. Uh, spend some time away this week and, and just remember and realize further how much I love these people. God, I thank you that you love us even more. Thank you. that when we misaimed what we would exalt, you actually lowered yourself, Jesus, and came into this to save us, to reorient our hearts and lives so that all could live for the one who died for all. I love you. And God, I thank you so much for this grace. Would you work in this church? Give us a passion greater than ever to share this good news that we would aim our exalting. We love you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.